Welcome to the Woo Woo Way podcast. My name is Zev Rice. Today's podcast is an audio version of a talk George Falcon gave to a small group of students in Santa Monica in August of 2013. The original video is actually available directly online. You can find it just by searching George Falcon Vimeo in Google or going to Vimeo itself and searching for his name and it should come up uh, at or near the top of the results. Before I introduce the talk itself, I should say a few words on who George Falcon was and what his teaching is about. A more detailed version of this is available in the f first five or ten minutes of the podcast episode one, in case you're interested. So, who was George Falcon? George was a Southern California-based spiritual teacher and mentor who spent his time lecturing, leading meditation retreats, and guiding students on their spiritual paths. Thanks to his rich background in both the ancient spiritual and contemporary scientific worlds, when George Falcon speaks about spirituality, he brings a language, a tone, and a structure that I think is more accessible and acceptable to the modern ear. It certainly is to mine. His primary claim is that you have access to the best life at any given moment, or as he liked to say, right here, right now, you are free. Because of this truth, he taught that there exists a set of principles that, if applied correctly, can alleviate personal suffering forever. This podcast is, de is devoted to explaining why the world doesn't look this way to most of us and giving people the tools to take control of their lives. Primarily drawing on George's lessons, stories, jokes, and lectures, it provides the intellectual framework, the spiritual context, and specific methods for mastering the self. What I do in these podcasts is provide a brief preface to his talk so I can introduce you to some of the concepts. Hopefully that gives you a chance to have the ideas sink in in advance of hearing it from him and provides a sort of lattice in your mind that is set up for him to strengthen and fill in once you get to the talk itself. Today's podcast is quite an important one from the perspective of George's teachings. It is really about his articulation of the so-called levels of consciousness, how they influence your experience of reality, and how you can raise your own consciousness to the higher levels. It sort of feels to me like we're being let in on a major secret, when I listen to it, the feelings that arise are like, I imagine how a boy would feel finding a book of magic spells and discovering that they actually work. How could this stuff have been a secret so long? I think to myself. Then I go back and read some of the original texts from the great ones of the past. And thanks to George's ability to explain things to a modern Westerner, which is what mine looks like in case you couldn't tell from my American accent, I finally understand at least some of what Buddha or a Krishna or a Jesus was talking about. The secret that these extraordinary individuals were trying to share with us is is open for all to see. It just gets mangled in translation and all too often tied up with human institutions and the dysfunction that so often infiltrates even the best intention of them. As an aside on, on this point, I mentioned Peter Greswell's book on this subject in a prior podcast uh, called The Invention of Jesus. Um, and for those who have already devoured that light read, not. I can highly recommend the books, The Five Gospels and The Complete Gospels, which were put together by the Jesus Seminar, and they provide a refreshingly non-sectarian and modern translation to the various Gospels and Gospel fragments, as well as providing a fascinating discussion on how they all came to be and the latest historical understanding of their authenticity and source. Unfortunately, what they gain in freshness and probably historical accuracy is offset by a a disconnection to the spiritual dimension of the text. Back to the feeling I described of pinch myself amazement. I, I will say that maybe it's just me that 
gets that feeling when when I listen to George talk, and in particular this one. But just in case it isn't, I'm doing this podcast so other people can have a look at these spells, quote-unquote, for themselves. Try them out and see if their lives improve. In that vein, before George gets going on the levels of consciousness in, in his talk today, he makes an important disclaimer. He reminds us that what he's about to share is all just a model. He encourages us not to take his word for it that it is that this is how it all works but to take it to the marketplace test it out for ourselves make sure that it actually works in our lives and through our own inner work experience reality as it truly is he is telling us to be scientists and run the experiments ourselves to test whether what he's saying is true he next tells us in deceptively simple terms the secret formula for how to raise our level of consciousness it just kind of slips by so let me pause first to point out that it is coming and make sure you are ready and listen for it. And second, since it goes by so quickly, to take the opportunity to slow it down and lay it out for you more completely here. One of the reasons it slips by is that he just kind of mentions it quickly and moves on. But another one is that he hasn't yet explained what the levels of consciousness even are and why raising our own level is the key to experience the best possible life. Don't worry, this is what most of the talk is about, so he'll cover that. Um... But uh, as I said, I want to slow it down and, and focus on it here for you. So he shares three ways of how we can raise our level of consciousness and advance towards waking up or enlightenment. First, he reminds people of the trick he goes into in other talks in, in the much more detail of, of how to break our patterns of dysfunction. He tells us that the trick is for us every time we experience a feeling, good or bad, to take responsibility for that feeling. I did it is the homework assignment we're given. There are whole other talks on this subject, which will be entitled something along the lines of patterns of dysfunctional behavior or dysfunction recovery and healthy patterns of behavior. I haven't done them yet, but I promise that'll be uh, in the title of the podcast uh, when I do. Uh, so I'll leave it. I'll leave that one there and, and hope to get to one of those sessions uh, soon. Or I would highly encourage you just to go straight to, to Vimeo and uh, take a look at the basic spirituality talks um, that you can watch there. There's 14 of them, so ample food for thought, or uh, I guess not not thought, I should say, to use uh, the appropriate uh, Buddhist or George-type terminology. <laughs> um, next, he explains that the secret to enlightenment is that we're just trying to remember our original state before we got sidetracked from knowing who we really were. Through this accumulation of layers and layers of emotions and thoughts and habits and beliefs and memories, we forget what our own essence is. That's how he describes it anyway. And third, he gives us the method to remove those layers in a nutshell. Break habits, train your mind, master yourself, and be still. And keep practicing often enough and long enough until the change in identity happens. Easier said than done, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. So how exactly do you do those things? Beyond the trick of taking responsibility for our feelings that he reminds us of in this talk, he doesn't really say. Fortunately, George has provided many specific techniques over the years, and you'll find several audio versions of his guided meditations as part of this podcast series that you can begin to work with. And actually, what you'll find when the uh, Wu Wei website goes live is that I've laid out a bunch of the techniques in the section there called the training section. Uh, so so hopefully that'll provide the additional detail on this subject that some of us crave. Okay, so 
That's a bit of a background on the first part of the talk. In summary, in this first part, you'll hear him remind us that this is just a model and that we're already free, and he'll tell us how to realize it. The rest of the podcast is devoted to describing and explaining the first five levels of consciousness. He says he's going to talk about three um, when he gets going, but he really ends up going through five, so don't be confused by this. He does a far better job than I could do at uh, doing so, so I'll, I'll leave that to him. But just to bridge some of the lexicon from the last session and future sessions and prime you for the five, here they are in brief. The first level is what we called in earlier podcasts the physical level of consciousness, a.k.a. the physical dimension. In today's talk, George refers to this level as including the unconscious and the simpler vegetative consciousness. The second level is what he sometimes calls Annabelle, after a dog he had years ago, or the emotional self, but in this talk he refers to as the subconscious self. They're all synonyms, so, so don't get confused by that. The third level he calls self-consciousness, and in this talk, and in other places he refers to as Virgil, after the guide in Dante's Inferno. The fourth level he calls transpersonal consciousness, and the fifth level he calls cosmic, or universal consciousness. That may all sound confusing, um, as I say, but he spends most of the podcast talking about it, so don't worry, it'll become clearer as he goes along. And given how central this model is to his teachings, I can promise you much more eye-opening and practical elucidation in future podcasts on these levels of consciousness. And as he would say, like the professor he once was, their powers, sensibilities, content, identity, and manifestation. A final word on George's style before we get started. You'll see if you watch, or hopefully when you watch, the Vimeos, that he doesn't speak with notes or even in extemporaneously from a previously prepared lecture. Instead, he just comes in and really, without formal preparation, he speaks from inspiration with a, a, a spontaneity um, that is visible, and, and, and he speaks just directly from the heart. What this means, in, in my view, with this particular talk is that it starts out a little slow and meanders a bit before he warms up, but it gets really good, so I recommend sticking with it. Okay, that is enough for me for now, so here's George. Well, you know, our only theme, right, there's only one thing. Is right now, right here, you are free. There is no other thing. And so it boils down okay. over and over again to one question. Do you know it or not? Now, last week I gave you three stories, right, or three people in situations pretty life-threatening, right? And I told you that if we looked at all three stories of these people's experience, medically-based experiences, that it always boiled down to an examination of what they had been doing, and then the realization that what they had been doing had produced what they were going through. And therefore, as a result of examining what they had been going through, now deciding that they had to stop doing what they were doing, right? Often then the question is, well, what do I do instead? But at least I know I have to stop doing what I have been doing. So in these three stories, I mean, they all reached this conclusion, and they didn't know each other, you know, one person from New York, the other one's from Germany, the other person's from California, and they reached the same conclusion. 
So I hope that you reach a similar conclusion, right? If right now, right here, it is not apparent to you that you are free, if it's not apparent that that is true because of your essence, then you have to examine what you've been doing and then figure out what if any of it or all of it you have to stop doing if in fact being free, which you are, but experiencing that freedom is important to you. Now, it may not be important. I mean, it just may be one of those things that you say, ah, you know, that's interesting. It's an interesting topic, but uh, I'll get to it some other lifetime. But if it's in this lifetime that you want to have the realization, the experience, the awakening, then you're going to have to look at what it is you do spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and determine what is blocking your awareness, right? So right now, right here, you are free. And I keep telling you that because, as I say to you, maybe one of these days I'll catch you by surprise, and all the tumblers will be in the right position, and you'll say, yes, of course, why didn't I realize that before? But until that time, we'll keep talking. I'll give you exercises to do, right, in an attempt to help you become more awake, more alert. Now, last week I gave you an assignment. I said, I wanted you to pay attention to every time you were aware of a feeling and say, I did it. I created it. Didn't even ask you to figure out why you did it or how long you were going to keep it. All I wanted you to stop doing is what? Blaming people, circumstances, situations for your feelings. That's major. But isn't that a stopping? I mean, you're going to stop blaming people, circumstances, situations, or your feelings. You're going to start to take responsibility because responsibility is one of the first significant elements of the recovering pattern. If you don't get into the recovering pattern, you're in a dysfunctional pattern, right? So one of the most important things is to begin by taking responsibility. Again, if nothing else, you're owning the fact that you've created the feeling. At the moment, you may not be aware of why or how you did it, but at least you're starting by looking in the right direction, right? I mean, if you're not looking outside of you for that, you've got a better chance of getting in touch with it. All right, so I will keep telling you the same story over and over again, give you different ways of looking at things simply because we never know what story, joke, statement, action will trigger your memory. Because that's all it is. It's a memory that you're looking for. And if you use the idea of as below, so above, in the below case, we've all been aware of something, right? I mean, we look at a person and we say, oh, I know that person, okay? You know, <laughs> I, I can't remember their name, okay? And, or I can't remember the story, or, or I can't, right? And you say, okay, it'll come to me because I know it. I mean, I know the person. I, I really did see the film, right? But at the moment, I can't remember the name of the person, okay? You leave it alone, and you go, oh, yeah, that's his name, or that's her name, or that's the name of the story, whatever it is. All of a sudden, you remember. 
So remembering is a very interesting phenomenon because we don't know how we remember. But we certainly have been in situations where one moment we didn't remember and then we remembered. You're going to remember. What was your original state before you got sidetracked? What was it that sidetracked you? What was it that started you in the opposite direction of knowing who, what you were? All right, so. I really don't know how good of students you are, so I, I don't know how diligent you were in practicing, paying attention, and going, oh, wow, I created that feeling. I, I, oh, I created that feeling. I created that feeling. Because, again, you've got to start waking up. Or, as I said to you before, Jesus called the average person the walking dead, and Buddha called them the walking robots. Okay? All right, so... There are several principles that we will use over and over again. And one of them is, as below, so above. When you start to understand something at a lower level, you can get a glimmer of what it might look like at a higher level. And so it helps you start to look for something and sort of avoid facing in the wrong direction. Right? But the other thing that I said last week was, I try to give you the information in a way that you can use it right away. I call it taking it to the marketplace. So it's not philosophy. As interesting as philosophy is and as exciting as it is, usually it doesn't solve your problems. So I try to tell you in a way, and what I tell you to do is in an attempt, again, to help you pay attention, and in the same token, so that your life starts to change. Now, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb, okay? I'm going to go out on a limb. Christy, since I have met you, has your life changed? See, I told you I was going to go out on a limb. She could have said what? No. In fact, it's gotten worse, George. If, I was, if it wasn't for Aris, I wouldn't be here. Okay? He dragged me down here. Okay? I mean, it's all to her credit. I mean, she just used the principles, right? And things start to change, and you start to look at things in a different way, and things start to move, okay? So, I will try to give you the information in a way, again, that you can take it to the marketplace. But we use models, not because they in themselves hold the truth or they're important, but hopefully, if you start to think this way, you'll stop thinking that way. <laughs> it's just, okay, you know, since thinking that way hasn't led me to become fully awakened, maybe if I start thinking this way, okay? So, letting go, breaking habits, being still is something you're going to practice over and over again. Because it's through the accumulation of layers upon layers of emotions and thoughts and beliefs that you have basically covered yourself in such a fashion that you have been, you've become hypnotized by them and are no longer aware of your own essence. So one of the things that I use, so Brent was very kind, but unfortunately, usually at the last place, everybody could see the table, so I'm going to have to raise the table. <laughs> so here's the table. Okay? And this simple little device is extremely valuable. Okay? Uh, I'm going to sit on the table there. Is that okay? Okay, so here we go. 
Now, it's just a very simple device that can be a very valuable model because this is how we're going to use it. For every level of consciousness, it has inherent information. Every level of consciousness gives you information, and if you move to a higher consciousness, it gives you information that was not there for you before. Every level of consciousness has a power. The higher the consciousness, the greater power is available to you. Every level of consciousness has a sensibility. The higher the level, the greater the sensibility, okay? i.e. from fear to happy to joy. We let the top represent a sense of identity, what you're conscious of being, and we let the bottom represent the manifestations of that consciousness. Because consciousness is like eyes. It literally lets you see something. Okay? And so when you move to a higher consciousness, you get to see things you didn't see before. And in fact, your experience should be something like this. Geez, I wonder why I didn't see it before. It's always there. I just wasn't aware that it was there. So levels of consciousness are its a very simple way of looking at things and, again, always trying to help you do something to pay attention to what it is you're doing because you're going to have to figure out what it is you have to stop. Now, are you going to have to stop every single thing? Probably, maybe not. Maybe there's one or two things that really have hypnotized you in such a fashion that that's what you have to let go of. Okay? All right. Today, we're going to concentrate on three levels. Uh, although the simplest level used to be called the unconscious, okay? and that would relate to organic matter. The next level is simple consciousness, and that's vegetation. Okay? The next level is the animal or the subconscious, which, by the way, as I've told you before, is the one that's going to beat you up. 80% of your problems is going to come from the subconscious because it's an animal. And if you don't train it, it's going to run your life because it generates all emotions. It runs the body. It is the memory component of you. It remembers everything. It doesn't necessarily understand it, but it remembers it. Okay. It communicates telepathically. So it's always receiving information below the conscious level, below the radar of the conscious mind. So it's a very powerful level of consciousness. But unfortunately, the most probable feelings associated with that level of consciousness is depression, fear, and anger. Remember I told you, every level has a sensibility. All right, the next one, which most of you identify with, which is self-consciousness. So now it gets interesting, right? Self-consciousness. How do you know that self-consciousness is dominant? Because you're conscious of being a self. If you're conscious of being a self, then you're going to be conscious that there are other selves. Okay? It's that simple. If you're conscious of being a self, then you're going to be conscious that there are other selves, 
So far, we're not in a lot of trouble. So what's the problem with being stuck in self-consciousness? I can guarantee you several experiences. Lack. If you experience lack, you probably call it wanting or desire, but any, any of those synonyms. If you experience lack in a relatively continuous fashion, you're stuck in self-consciousness. A sense of separation. And so we work so hard, you know, we're always working so hard to try to feel connected. And that lasts for a little bit, pretty soon, you're back to feeling disconnected. I mean, all it takes is one word or one gesture from the other person, you don't feel connected anymore. It's just that, you know, vulnerable. A sense of separation. Fear of death. That level of consciousness is forever going to put you in a surge mode to try to survive. Your life will be an endless attempt to survive. Why? Because it has a certain level of information. Obviously, it's has more information than the subconscious, but it's limited in power. And self-consciousness is actually pretty good at solving problems. I'm going to take it to the microplate. It's actually not bad at solving problems if it has all the information. But how often are we in the situation in which we have all the information? Since we're seldom in that situation, self-consciousness makes up stories, theories, hypotheses, and then begins to behave as if they're true. Really just digs a hole for itself. Instead of saying, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the information. But to self-consciousness, to say you don't know, it's almost paralyzing, right? It's like, whoa, if I don't know, what could happen to me? Since survival, it's its primary concern. So, what is the working theme of self-consciousness? In every situation, it's going to ask quickly like this. What am I being asked to do? What do I get out of it? What's it going to cost me? Every situation, quickly. What am I being asked to do? What am I going to get out of it? And don't kid yourself. If you're in self-consciousness, you're going to say, the reason I'm doing this is because Christy's my friend. That's why I'm doing it. It's not true. She is my friend, but that's not true. What do I get out of it? Sometimes it's as simple as, I feel good helping her. It's that simple, right? What do I get out of it? That consciousness will produce that kind of lifestyle. If that's your day-to-day experience, then you know that self-consciousness is very dominant 
or a very dominant consciousness. So it's basically your prison. Okay, it's basically your prison. You're going to be stuck there. So, luckily, you're going to have another experience, vacillation. So things aren't going too good, and then they go good, and then they don't go good, and then they get bad again. And, you know, so you're going to have vacillation. Okay? Otherwise, it really would be hell, not a prison. Right? <laughs> it would always be one or the other. But since there are vacillations, sometimes it's going pretty good. And all of you know, the biggest problem with when it's going good, you know it's going to come to an end, right? You're not too sure about the other side, by the way, okay? When it's going bad, you're not too sure that it's going to stop. But take it for granted. I mean, you know, it works both ways. See? That's the yin and yang of life, okay? That's why in Scripture it says, stand still. You know, it's going bad, just stand still. It'll pass. This, this, that consciousness is in constant vacillation. So it's dualistic, as I said, it's self and others, right? So, the next level is the beginning of your recognizing your freedom. It's called transpersonal. And you know, each level is identified by its content, or sometimes by someone who was very much in that consciousness, and so we identify the consciousness with a person. So transpersonal is the consciousness that you're not the self. It's not an idea. You have to recognize, okay? It's not an idea. It's like all of a sudden, you're looking over there and say, whoa, there's George over there. Wow, look at that. Look at what a fool he is. Okay? It really is like, oh my goodness, look, there's a self over there. Look at what it's doing. Look at what it's thinking. That's ridiculous. Look at what it's thinking. It's a consciousness. You're not the self. And that's the beginning of your freedom. So if you're not the self, right? You're not Julie. See, that's a safe name, Julie. <laughs> if you're not the self, who are you? See, who are you? That's an interesting story, right? Well, who am I then? I, I, I thought I was George, right? My whole, my whole life was predicated on the assumption that I was George, right? And everything I did was for George, and I was trying to protect George, and, you know, trying to promote George, and no, I'm not George. I'm not even that interesting. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but I know something. <laughs> it's going to come to an end. So why am I going to invest in him? Why am I going to invest in him? It's going to come to an end. I told you, that's why there's a fear of death and self-consciousness. Because intuitively, we know it's going to come to an end. Well, then, what are we going to do with the self? What are we going to do with the body? Well, you know, it can be very useful in, in the, you know, in the path. It can be very useful, so we take care of it. You know, just like we take care of our car. You know, change the oil, do the tune-ups, the whole thing. We take care of it because, by the way, until you're really free, it can get in the way. So you want to bring the body, the self, into a state of equanimity, so it no longer is a distraction to you. Because all of us know, at least at the beginning, right? 
how hard it is to meditate if you got a bad headache. All of us know how hard it is to meditate if I'm concerned about something. Usually money, huh? Or a relationship. It's really very hard to pull our attention away from that and start meditating, which would be the greatest solution, but it's very hard to move away from it. So we want to bring some order to self-life, some equanimity to the body, so again, it's not distracting you. And by the way, it starts to function better, so things move along a little better. Right? As I've said to you before, uh, you're going to do simple things. They're really not that complicated. Okay? The intellect has complicated the whole process beyond belief. Because it always wants to stay in charge. So it keeps generating theories and explanations and models and never going to the simplest thing. Bottom line is, your body should be alkaline. That's it. Your body should be alkaline. Don't make it complicated. So if whatever you're eating, ingesting, isn't producing an alkaline body, what are you going to do? Stop it. Stop eating that. Now, can your thinking make you acidic? Yeah. Stop eating that. Can your emotions make you acidic? Yes. So you're going to pay attention. Is your body toward the alkalinity or to the acidic? Because an acidic environment is the perfect environment for microorganisms, single-cell organisms that are known as bacterias, for instance. Okay? Cancer. Okay? So all of those, okay? So, relative to the body, your task will be, am I keeping the body basically alkaline? Am I paying enough attention to what it is that throws me off to the acidic level? And then, don't do that because, again, it's going to distract you from moving along the spiritual path. So if you're not the self, but you should have had a clue. Weren't these things born? Which is another way of saying they had a beginning. So who were you before? See, you've never investigated <laughs> Where was I? What was I doing? Who am I? Who was I before I came into this vehicle and began to identify with it? Think of how much time and energy we spend focusing on the vehicle. And it's going to come to an end. By the way, if you're in high enough consciousness, that statement isn't true. But until you get there, work on the other one. <laughs> Just keep it running good so it doesn't distract you. So that you can start to move away from it. And begin to ask, well, then who am I if I'm not that? And so we now start to recognize more and more levels of consciousness. You see the world 
the way you do because of the level of consciousness you're in. If you move to a different consciousness, it wouldn't look exactly like it does to you right now. Now, the interesting thing is, why is there any social agreement? Well, because most of the races in the same consciousness are. So they're verifying each other's experience, God bless, and calling it reality. It's real relative to that consciousness. Yes, it's real relative to that consciousness. You move out of that consciousness, and it's no longer real. That's why the expression, all of this, is illusory. If you do not see it as illusory, you're seeing an illusion. Think about that. All of this is illusory. Think of what the word illusory implies. If you're not seeing it as illusory, you're seeing an illusion. So what are we going to say about the vast majority of our brethren? They're seeing illusions. Think of what that word means. Now, one of the things I do, and you've heard me say that, okay? I met this little boy. He was pre-three, okay? So his name was, is Trent. Okay? And one of the interesting things was that if you could reduce what you needed to say to him to simple terms, very empirical terms, he could understand. He just didn't have the vocabulary. He just didn't have that vocabulary. All right. See, Isabella always goes back. You know, she thinks she's going to sneak out there, and I won't see her. Okay? She changes glasses and all that. I still know where she is because that's the one i got to pick on. Isabella, tell little Trent what illusion means. Well, he may. So give him an example. Something that's not there. Little Trent can understand an illusion now, okay? It's not real. Then why are we behaving as if everything we're looking at is real? You realize that only the more extreme of our brethren get put in institutions? But the earth is a big mental institution, isn't it? I mean, if everybody's looking at illusions, I guess just one big mental institution. It's just the ones that are an extreme that we lock them up. All of this is illusory. You must see the movement in the environment. Now, luckily it has a duration, so consequently, periodically, okay, you're going to see it keep the pattern of energy. It's going to keep the pattern of energy. It's that when you lock in, then you think that's it. And last week I alluded to some of the tricks that we do to, to make that duration seem longer and longer and longer and longer. When in fact, if you leave it alone, the pattern will change. The pattern will change. But there are higher laws, otherwise the whole thing would be chaotic, so we don't have to worry about it. There are higher laws uh, guiding all energy patterns. So we really don't have to worry. It doesn't become chaotic. What you see depends on your consciousness. 
So I'm going to move to another consciousness. Some of our brethren have been lucky, if that's the word. And they get in touch, if we're going to talk about it from the sense of content, cosmic, universal consciousness. What's interesting is that, like this level of consciousness, if we look at self-consciousness, not everyone that is dominated by self-consciousness has the same degree of self-consciousness. So it's like a normal distribution. Well, those that have tapped into cosmic universal consciousness, it's the same thing. Some tapped into it at a very low level, more mature, and fully. I tell you that because sometimes it's something like this. If you've been to a place, New Orleans, and somebody tells you they just came back from there, you two are going to tar start to talk about it. And maybe the two of you didn't go to exactly the same places, but you're going to have enough recognition that you both went to the same place. Right? And there's going to be enough similarity in your description of what you saw that you'll say, oh, yeah, you know, that person did go to New Orleans. Right? So cosmic consciousness is that way. I mean, if you've gone there, you know, you'll say, oh, yeah, this person went. Now, it's interesting why they're describing it that way. So that's sometimes what gets a little confusing. Right? So, for instance, sometimes, like I said, it is labeled in terms of the person that has that maturity and that consciousness. Sometimes it's called a name by the person who received the experience. So that's where it starts to get tricky, right? So, for instance, right, the author of the Bhagavad Gita called it Krishna. He calls it Krishna. And so now we think that Krishna was a person walking around. Not a level of consciousness. Paul called it Christ. And now we think that was Christ was a person. See, so sometimes the level that we're now talking about is identified either with a person or an identity, because remember I told you, every level of consciousness has a sense of identity. And because initially the experience is really like going to New Orleans and coming home. You're not going to stay there that long. okay? And so consequently, initially it always feels like you're going somewhere. It feels as if you've actually met someone. The other I am said to me. See, it has that sense that you, you actually were interacting with somebody. So the other I am revealed to me. Because initially, you're not going to be in that consciousness that long. But if you're lucky and you keep going, maybe you'll even move there, right? And then you'll know everything about that terrain, right? But initially, as I said, the experiences are very short. Okay. So Paul has the experience. You know, it took him 10 years to figure out how to talk about it. Because it was so unusual, right? It was like, whoa, how do I talk about it? 
That's not an uncommon experience either. So Francis Bacon said, why don't you tell your own story? You tell your own story, okay? I don't know how to do that for you. Because you haven't identified with it. So if we now go back again to self-consciousness, Notice you don't have to ask somebody else to tell your story, do you? You, you tell your own story because you're so identified as being the self. But you don't identify as being the universe. That's why you can't tell the story directly. And to the degree that the story can be told simply and directly, you recognize that that one has a greater either duration in that consciousness or more frequent visitation or has identified, united with that consciousness. So obviously, in saying that word, word united, you have to go from dualistic consciousness, which is self-consciousness, to non-dualistic. Not two. No three, no four, no five. Not two. I am that I am. That I am is this I am. Not two. So part of it, again, see, if you're still stuck in self-consciousness, you're in dualistic consciousness, there's no way you're going to get in touch with that consciousness. You have to start freeing yourself enough so that you're able to identify with something else other than the self. So again, it's either called by a name that we associate with a personage or by the content. So let's look at the content. Cosmic consciousness. Now you see, you're all aware of the environment right now. Imagine the environment that you're aware of right now was the universe. So what did Buddha call it? The chain of being. Because he actually saw each level. Like Jacob Bowen. And could describe each level. By being it. Well, notice if you're identifying with this, how are you going to identify with that? See, you must have let go of identifying with this to begin to free yourself enough to move over there. So what did Jesus call it? The kingdom of heaven. And in Aramaic, the word implies harmony, love, peace. An experience of immense Harmony, love, and peace. A peace that transcends all human understanding. Unlike nothing you'll ever experience in the body, in self-consciousness. Again, until you reach a certain level. But until you reach there, what I'm telling you applies. Okay? So, 
what do you get to see? Each level. How photons become atoms, become molecules, become... What are the guiding principles? What keeps the universe from unraveling? Does it have a purpose? And how is it going to reach that purpose? And what's your part in this purpose? See, I told you. It has information. It reveals it to you. So, it's not uncommon for someone who has that experience to try to make sure that the listener understands, I didn't get it from books. And Paul says what? I didn't get it from the disciples. <laughs> See, I mean, they're, they're trying to indicate, no, no, this, this is nothing that one would run into a choir on the physical plane. Can't go to the library. This has to be a direct experience. By shifting into that consciousness in which being conscious that you are that, you can pay attention. Well, let's go back to the below. You have a feeling, okay? Anxiety. And you don't realize that your subconscious mind is generating anxiety, so you let your intellect come up with a theory of why anxiety is there. Because you haven't the foggiest idea how your subconscious and why your subconscious mind is generating the feeling. That's why you've come up with this story of why you're anxious. Let me give Isabella a little reprieve. Kelly, does the intellect actually know why the subconscious mind is generating an emotion? Doesn't have a clue. Your best explanation of why you're anxious, I can almost guarantee you, is not true. But you're not paying attention to that part of you. So you don't recognize what it's doing to generate that feeling for you. And by the way, it's not against you. It's just not very good at discerning. doesn't have a lot of information. So it does something very interesting. It says, okay, well, I just met her, right? And she reminds me of my third grade teacher. And she was terrible. I just don't like the new Julie. I think I'll move over here because... I don't even know her, right? But the subconscious mind says, oh, no, the last time we saw somebody like that, remember, she was terrible. And the intellect says what? I just met her. And what is the subconscious mind doing? Because it runs the body. Is the opposite also true? Oh, my third grade teacher. Well, she really liked me. My third grade teacher really liked me. So I really like you, Julie. The same story. That's the subconscious mind. That's how it works. But if you're not paying attention to that level, you don't see how it works. Therefore, you cannot direct it. That's the thing. You cannot direct it. So it keeps being in charge. And that's why I said to you last week, start paying attention. So we'll extend it one more week, okay? Every time you have a feeling, which will include some 
are the new ones today. Every time you have a feeling, just say, oh, I made this feeling. And if you're lucky enough, you might even see the whole history of it. But if not, at least you have stopped creating stories that the outside generates your feelings. Okay? Because at least if you start owning it, you might start discovering why that's going on. And yet the bottom line is going to be a choice. What's the choice, Maria? I have a feeling. I feel anxious. What's my choice? I'm sorry, Libby? That's just very simple, right? Do I want it or don't I? It's that simple. After a while, you don't even have to investigate why it's there, okay? You're just going to say, drop it. Don't go. Doop. Gone. If you like it, eh, don't bother. But you're going to have to get to that point, right? And that's why the analogy, particularly the subconscious mind, is a pet. Right? Because holding a conversation with your pet <laughs> isn't going to produce the results you want. Iris tried it with, with Will first, right? <laughs> Will, don't run across the street. <laughs> Zoom! There goes Will across the street. <laughs> what a pleasure it was. I was driving up to his house one day, and he walks up to the corner, he stops, and Will sits down. Will's a hunter. you got to understand that Instincts are very dominant. Anything that moves, boy, he catches it. See, that, that, was, that was very important. Because if he can't train will, can he train his will? Not likely. Because it's the same principles. See, if he can't train the animal, he can't train his animal. Okay? So, back to the good stuff. If cosmic consciousness, and since we're in the West, right, I mean, we've all heard of the term the kingdom of heaven, so I'll use that. It doesn't really make any difference. We can use any term we want. We can use nirvana for that matter, right? But a kingdom of heaven. Isn't that an aspiration of most people? And they really think they're going to go there after they die? What do you think is the probability that they're going to go from self-consciousness to cosmic consciousness simply because they let go of the body. Close to zero. But what if you started to have the experience already now? What would I predict about you when you let go of the body? Boy, it's going to be pretty easy for you now because you're not going to be distracted with that. And by the way, here's the irony. So I'll have to correct the previous statement. When you let go of the body, you actually do go to that frequency. But it's so f unfamiliar. It's so uncomfortable. You go back to your favorite consciousness. You squandered the opportunity. Because it's so unfamiliar. So we do go to that frequency when we let go of the body. But again, it's so unfamiliar. We quickly... Go back to the consciousness that we're familiar with. So we squandered a wonderful opportunity. 
So we have to do it again and again. Okay? So what is it you get to see? The totality, the whole, its subdivisions, its subsets. Excuse me. How they interact, why they're there, how they support each other, how they're interrelated, how they're interconnected, how they benefit each other, how the whole purpose of it is to magnify itself. So what's the worry? You don't see it. You don't see how it works together to produce harmony, love, ease, and peace. And that's what the universe is generating right now. That's what it generates. And think of the misery of the race. You know that antidepressants are the biggest selling item, pharmaceutically speaking. And here's the universe generating love, peace, joy, ease. And self-consciousness is totally oblivious to its presence. And should it tap into it, it's probably going to give credit to the wrong thing. Just bought a new car. You ought to see it, Jordan. It's really neat. I'm really feeling good right now with my new car. Instead of saying, what? Wow, I must have tapped into that consciousness. I wonder why I let the car give me an excuse to tap into that consciousness. See, you're going to think differently if you're going to progress. So last week I also said, study your friends. Study your friends. And the first thing you're going to do after you study your friends is what, Aris? Uh, don't, do what do. don't do what they do. That's the first thing you're going to do, okay? That's why you have to study them, okay? Don't think the way they think. So it's valuable to ask them, what would you do under these circumstances? Because then you'll know what you shouldn't do. And you'll also know if you think that way. I already thought of that, Maria. You're going to study your friends. And don't try to reconcile what they're telling you. You just say, okay, that's a product of self-consciousness. I, I hope you're understanding that, okay? I mean, because we just allow ourselves to get confused. I mean, you, you have to pay attention and start out with simple things. I told you at the beginning of the eight, you know, 1980s, psychologists were saying that 96% of the people were dysfunctional. 96%, guys. Well, as I've said before, I, I, I'm rather generous. I, I like to think 80%. But watch how simple it is. Isabella, give me the name of a friend of yours in Poland. I don't know her, right? Because I don't know your friends in Poland. Give me the name of a friend of yours in Poland. I'm, Natalia. I bet you she's dysfunctional. 
But why, why would I make, see, I, I don't even know. How would I guess that? Well, even if I'm generous and 80% of the people are dysfunctional, what's the probability she's dysfunctional? 80%. So what's the tragedy? If Isabella deals with her as if she wasn't. Do you understand that? If Isabella deals with her friend as if she wasn't dysfunctional, then that's a problem. Imagine that. Christy, oh, I'm getting to know more of your friends, so you don't come. Uh, <laughs> Nina, tell me a friend of yours in Australia. Melanie. Have I ever met Melanie? Have you ever told me about Melanie? Okay. I want to say she's dysfunctional. Wait a minute. It's not in some ways. Come on. Okay. I mean, she is. I mean, she's either in the consciousness or she isn't, okay? Now, what's the tragedy if Nina behaves as if she's not dysfunctional? Okay? Now, these dysfunctional patterns show up more obviously under stress. That's partially what fools us, okay? That, you know, if, if your friends aren't in too much stress, you know, they might sneak in some of the dysfunctional elements because you're not good at detecting them. And you certainly wouldn't want to think your friend is dysfunctional, would you? So you're going to cut him some slack. But they're dysfunctional. Now again, to make it very simple, very simple, Christy, what does the word, tell little Trent what dysfunctional means. Um, I'm bad at this. You're bad at this. That was really good, Sugar. That was really good. <laughs> that part was very good. Now, Christy, we're going to have to have a talk because I can't have you have children until you get good at this. Because <laughs> for ours is better. Okay, dysfunctional ours. Okay, you can have children. That's what she said. I'm bad at this. Yes, I'm bad at this. That'll work, right? I can't do it. I'm not getting the results I want. I'm bad at this. Okay? That's all we mean by dysfunctional. That's why I'm asking you to pay attention to what you do. Because, again, due to the limited amount of information, as I said before, if you had all the information, you'd do actually pretty good. But we don't at that level. So you won't know what to do. So you won't know what to do to get to your goal. All right, so, in the simplest terms, in the simplest terms, does it, doesn't everybody just want to be happy? I mean, in the simplest terms, everybody wants to be happy. But if they're not, what are we going to say? They're dysfunctional. Whatever it is they're doing isn't leading to the sensibility of happiness. You know why? Because happiness belongs to a higher consciousness. It does not belong to self-consciousness. Okay? Happiness does not belong to self-consciousness. The reason I need you to pay attention 
is because periodically, periodically, you actually move out of your favorite consciousness and actually visit all the levels beyond. But like what you do when you let go of the body, guess what you do? Back to your familiar consciousness. And that's why periodically, out of the blue, you feel good. You just happen to move into that consciousness. That's the sensibility of that consciousness. So at the lowest level of consciousness, what's the sensibility? Depression. Depression is the sensibility of the lowest consciousness. How creative, how vital, how active is someone who's depressed? Pretty close to zero. Because it has so little power, even to move the body seems like a big deal. You move to the next level, and the sensibility is fear. Now, fear actually is a higher frequency energy than depression because fear gets you to do what? Run. Sometimes run very fast. <laughs> so it's got to have a higher power than depression because it's moving the body. The next level is anger. That's actually a higher energy. It really is than fear or depression. So you'd have to move out of the self before you started experiencing the positive feelings. Happiness, joy, ecstasy, rapture. Each one is a sensibility that belongs to a particular consciousness. So if that's not your dominant consciousness, again, you might get distracted and move into that consciousness, and for that moment, you feel great joy. And what's the probable mistake you're going to make? You're going to create a story that moves you back to self-consciousness, right? It's because of someone, something, some activity. So you move yourself out of that consciousness, the experience starts to diminish, eventually disappear. So, if you did tap into cosmic consciousness, wouldn't you know that the universe was working on your behalf? Even if the totality is working on your behalf, what's your worry? If you saw that, that it's working on your behalf, what's your worry? None. You know that everything is working to produce harmony, peace, joy, love. But if you're not in that consciousness, that's not the experience. So I really want to impress upon you. By the way, that's not the one we're really interested in, but, you know, I figured at least get some relief, right, while you're battling the self. I mean, what's wrong with feeling joy? Right? 
What's wrong with feeling it all the time? For no good reason whatsoever. Other than you're in the frequency, the consciousness that produces it. Just part of it. Okay? It's like, you know, you're close to the ocean here, then you go down the desert, right? It's just like, whoop, you moved over there. You don't get to experience the ocean. You're out here, you don't get to experience the desert. You're out of self-consciousness, you don't get to experience what? You don't get to experience that. Isn't that amazing? You just don't get to experience those things. Does it mean your friends won't experience it? They're probably still there, aren't they? They're probably still there. Okay? See, right there, somebody's... That's an example, right? Somebody needs help. Right? All right, so your assignment. The reason I... Ah, this was so fascinating to me. Cosmic conscious eyes. It's addictive. But you got to get past it. But at least it gives you something to look forward to and something to strive. Because it sure beats being in prison. Okay? But you can't get stuck. And that was the problem with the Buddhist students. They were stuck in heaven. And they couldn't figure out why he wanted them to get out. <laughs> How could there be anything better than that? And he wanted them to move out. So, again, for this week, again, just start to pay attention. Every time you're aware of a feeling, positive, neutral, or negative, just claim the power to have created it. Because ultimately, I'm going to train you to answer thusly. Can you? Yes. That's it. If I say, can you? You've got to tell me what? Yes. Because you have the power. The next question is what? Will you use that power? And if you say yes, then the next question is, when will you use that power? Now is a good time. <laughs> but you see, if you don't start claiming the power, how are you going to move to the next level? Right? And it's all about paying attention. The more you pay attention to yourself, you just study yourself. That's your best subject, right? Because it's always with you. You ever notice yourself is always with you? So you can study how yourself thinks, how it feels, what it believes, its experiences. And it just starts to make you pay attention. Okay? So that's the assignment. And hopefully, you know, you'll get some insights as you do that. Okay? All right. Any questions? Wow, I must have been very clear today. Okay? Because it was really only one subject. What consciousness are you in? And which one do you want to be in? And then help you figure out how you're going to make the shift. Okay? Have a great week. I mean it. Okay? Good.
That's the talk for today. Um, before I wrap things up, I, I just wanted to add a couple of footnotes from today's podcast. Um, if you found his comments on what happens after we die of interest, and like me, we're uh, quite curious to, to get into a bit more detail on that, I, I would encourage you to take a look at the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, George will talk about it on some future podcasts if, if we get, get to them. But in the meantime, um, if, you, if you have a look at that, that book, you'll find that the Tibetans probably more than any other surviving culture have investigated and understood this phenomenon um, better and in quite some detail. Personally, I I found Sogyal Rinpoche's Tibetan Book of Living and Dying uh, a more helpful guide uh, to to that original Tibetan Book of the Dead text. It's uh, it's quite out there. Um, And I would direct the interested listener to part three of the book, uh, and, and also the first chapter of part four uh, of the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying for an extraordinary perspective that actually matches really well with what um, George was talking about, uh, albeit very briefly, uh, on this, this podcast. Uh, second footnote is um, George made a comment along the lines that the biggest selling pharma product uh, were, were antidepressants. And in an effort to be a good scientist, I went and looked to figure up. I, I couldn't find more recent data, but as of 2010, according to a study by Quintile IMS, antidepressants were among the fastest growing drug classes and with nearly 254 million prescriptions in that, filled in that year, was, were a close second to the 255 million prescriptions filled for cholesterol drugs. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, there are several ways you can support it. You can subscribe to the feed, leave reviews on iTunes or wherever you downloaded it from, and you can tell your friends about it or just uh, share it on social media. Apparently, reviewing it on iTunes really makes a difference, so doing that would be much appreciated. And if you were one of George's students or friends, my hope is that this will help you recall his teachings and inspire you to share what you learned with your friends or through whatever medium is most comfortable for you. Finally, for any feedback, uh, or if you'd like to find more information on Wu Wei and George Falcon, you can go to the soon-to-be-released website, www.wuwei.net. You'll find a bunch more information there and links to uh, other, other folks, other students' um, material on George. In the meantime, feel free to email me at zeb at Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.